Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week's guest, Howie Schwab, is simply one of the most incredible college basketball minds in the world. That is not an exaggeration. He was the first member of the ESPN research department back in the late 1980s. He has been friends with our super producer, Bruce Bernstein, for over 30 years. He's affectionately called Dick Vitale's spirit animal because he worked and continues to work with Dick, providing him with much of the factual material that Dickie V weaves into his stream of consciousness storytelling. Howie is currently the bracketologist for Fox Sports and is one of the most generous souls around. His charitable efforts for the Make-A-Wish Foundation over the years have helped them raise a great deal of money to help cancer victims make their sports dreams come true. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. This week on Buckets, Boards and Blocks, thank you for continuing to listen, folks. I'm your host, Monica McNutt. And this week... This sports week, we obviously had the NBA draft lottery, which caused many emotions around the country. Everybody's been talking about the top three and then who else? Big question mark. Well, today on the pod, we're going to get into that a little bit more with the bracketologist himself of Fox Sports, one Mr. Howie Schwab. Howie, thanks for coming through. Good to be with you, Monica. All right, so the blanket statement, and I want you to either agree, disagree, quantify, let's just kick the conversation off with what has been the narrative. After the first three picks, who's in this class? Wah, wah, wah. Howie, I mean, I, I just think that's such an unfair statement. I agree with you because while there's been so much hype about Zion and then a good amount of hype about John Morant and Barrett, and those are three guys who should be all-stars in the future, there are a number of quality players in this draft who are capable of being contributors at the NBA level right away and long-term being all-stars. I mean, you see it every couple of years. You have some drafts where uh, early on the evaluation is, oh, the top guys are great, and then, oh, look at the drop-off. I think back, I'll give you an example, 2011. How was this draft? The ninth pick was Kemba Walker. He's an all-star now. The 11th pick was Clay Thompson, who has been a major factor in Golden State winning titles. The 15th pick was Kawhi Leonard, arguably the best player in the NBA right now, depending on who you talk to. I know Greek Freak fans will disagree. It's fine. Harden fans will disagree. The 30th pick was Jimmy Butler, who's been an all-star. And the 60th pick was Isaiah Thomas, the last overall pick, who's been a major contributor when healthy. So when you look at the NBA draft, 
I know it's easy to say, hey, the top picks, and Zion is such a, a different player and is expected to be a superstar who brings in fans and uh, is one of those players who, who supersedes the draft compared to some other years. But uh, bottom line is the NBA draft will have a lot of good storylines this year. And it will be a lot of fun to see how these players contribute over the years uh, because a lot of them will contribute. Absolutely. I think that is a fantastic point. And I think, I don't know how you, you and I obviously are watching college basketball closer, but I wonder if the average NBA fan has done enough research, honestly, to really make these statements and believe them in earnest, right? Like if you're just watching NBA, then you're probably missing some of the gems that are in the college mix or rankings. But all right, so we discussed that. Who's a guy, I guess, that we will probably hear in that lottery class that's someone that could become a household name down the road or even this year? I'll give you a name who's projected in the top 10 who I think has a lot of potential, and that's Kobe White of North Carolina. Good ball handler, good shooter, uh, smart on the court, uh, played for a great coach in Rory Williams. Uh, is going to be a little raw because he only had one year of college, but uh, I think he has a lot of potential and will go in the top 10. And uh, playing in the ACC, he's already been battle-tested. I think Kobe White is a player who can uh, end up excelling and doing really well uh, below that top three. And that's, again, an example. You see guys every year. I bring up Kemba Walker at nine. In 2011, look what he's developed into as a scorer, as a leader, uh, as a, a franchise-type player. So, uh, and, and so you, can, you can get good players below in the, out of the top five. What do you think then would be either the skill set that most readily translates or is it a mental thing? Because you mentioned a guy like Kemba Walker who is known to be a workhorse, a guy like Kawhi Leonard who shows nothing but – his work ethic. In fact, we question whether he has an emotional capability. But those are guys that were guards. They could handle the ball. Kawhi obviously owns the title of best two-way player pretty pretty comfortably. You talk about Clay yeah. Thompson, a guy that could shoot. So what kind of skill set would translate sort of immediately? Well, I, I think the biggest thing you have to do is adjust to the pro game in terms of the physicality. You also have to adjust to the schedule. Mm-hmm. You have to adjust to practices being very different. Uh, in college, you have a lot of practice time. You have the opportunity to improve. In the pros, the practice time is so limited. Uh, a lot of times you're on the road and you're traveling and you just don't get as much practice time. And it's an adjustment there. And also the maturity of a player. I mean, it's hard to answer until the player gets into a camp and gets used to that environment and depending on what team he plays for. I mean, if you go to a team that already has some talent, that helps lessen the pressure. If you go to a team where you have to become a star, uh, like Colin Sexton at Cleveland last year, for example, there was pressure on him because there was such upheaval in Cleveland I think the best of Sexton will be coming out in the next two years, and you'll see that he's he's got star power. 
mm. if they surround him with a few other players. And and we'll see how this all pans out with the new coach and everything. But, uh, I mean, to me, evaluating players from a draft take two to three years before you really get an honest evaluation. I mean, if you evaluated Kawhi Leonard as the 15th pick in 2011, you wouldn't have said, oh, he's going to be one of the best players in the league. That's why it takes a while. I mean, I'll give you an example also. Think about these guys who are not picked in the top 10. How would you do if this was your starting five? Steve Nash was the 15th pick. Pearl Malone was the 13th pick. Uh, You have Kobe Bryant was a 13th pick. You have Dennis Rodman was a 27th pick. Wow. John Stockton was a 16th pick. So now if you evaluated right out of the gate, uh, these are five of the best players arguably in NBA history at their position. And none of them were in the top 10 of the draft. So, you know, it takes a while at times and, and some people are lucky. The other thing is when you are a team that has a good history of drafting, I look at the San Antonio Spurs who have two relatively high picks. Here's a team that had Tony Parker in the 20s and Manu Ginobili was 57. So you look at the history of this draft and you look at teams that have succeeded in the draft, uh, there are serious possibilities of getting people uh, the other thing I find interesting is there are guys who are stars in college who then get evaluated lower in the pro draft. And then when they get the opportunity to show their abilities, and it's a different game in the NBA. So quickness is important. Uh, yes, you have to shoot well to a point. Uh, I mean, the adjustment factor is so important. I mean, a guy like Shamori Pons at St. John's, I think, has the potential to be a really good NBA player. Yeah. Uh, he was inconsistent at times at St. John's. Uh, that's my alma mater, so I saw almost all their games. But uh, when he's on, he takes over games. Look at two years ago against Villanova and Duke when they upset those two teams, and he was dominant in those games. Uh, that kind of player could be – great in the NBA, but it may take him time to break in a lineup and get enough playing time to excel. That's why I say it takes two to three years sometimes to give a true evaluation of a player in the draft. Yeah, I think that's wise. And so to coin the line from the great movie, Bad Boys, everybody should just woo for a second. Uh, but how you brought up a great point in Colin Sexton, and I definitely want to get back to the John Beeline taking that job in Cavs in, in Cleveland um, before I get you out of here. But I have this question because I know as I'm watching mock drafts and such, one Darius Garland seems to be climbing up some boards. But you've got a guy who really didn't play the entire season. I mean, he battled some injuries. you got guys like Romeo Langford, Bobo, who are like projected but have been injured. How does that work? How does that play into their next chapter and into this draft process? Well, I think it's about potential. Last year, Michael Porter fell in the draft, and uh, Denver ended up grabbing him. I thought it was a great move grabbing him, but then he got hurt again. So it's a risk, but potentially, if you look at when they were coming out of high school, Bull Bull, Romeo Langford, and Darius Garland were all projected to be top 10 picks. 
Now, because of the injuries, they may be a little bit further down. Bull Bull being such a talent inside, shot blocker, rebounder, scorer. Uh, but it's hard to judge because he was out most of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. So the Oregon star has a lot of potential, has the bloodlines because he's the son of Manute Bull. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. A lot of people project him out of the top 10. He has the talent, when healthy, to be really good. Uh, Romeo Langford played hurt all year, uh, did play a lot, was up and down. Indiana was a disappointing team. But Romeo Langford has the potential to be in the lottery and also can be a really good pro down the line. He's a good leader. Uh, and then Darius Garland, a really good shooter, a good offensive player, but like you said, got hurt very early in the season. And without him, Vanderbilt fell apart and didn't win a game in the SEC. Uh, Darius Garland, though, is projected by some people as high as four. So certainly the potential is there. And it's funny because a lot of people said, okay, well, after the top three, watch out. uh, Last night, to me, there were three clear-cut losers. The Bulls falling to seven, the Cavs and the Suns falling out of the top three. Well, they're not necessarily losers if they get a, a Darius Garland or a Kobe White. Or, uh, there are plenty of good players in this draft. So I, I think putting them as a loser is only true in that they didn't win in terms of Zion or Barrett or Morant. Uh, I, I don't think that you're going to judge this as a loss until, like I said, two or three years down the road. And the injury factor is really interesting with this draft because will a team worry about a guy getting hurt again? Uh, that's always a factor in, in pro drafts, especially in football drafts. But uh, those three have a lot of potential, and that's that's the thing about draft. You're drafting on potential, potential, potential. All right, so Howie, if you're – give me – those three teams, give me the Lakers at four, Cleveland at five, Phoenix at six. Who are guys that you're looking at? Well, like I said, Garland and White should be up there. Uh, certainly there's a guy like Jared Culver at Texas Tech who had a great year improving. Uh, I'm uh, I'm intrigued by a lot of players in this draft. And What's your... a lot of players, a lot of players were stars at their college level, so I, I think there are a lot of good guys who can step in and, and contribute. So my top two favorite that I don't know, I mean, I think they're getting their due. I'm a big fan of Jared Culver and DeAndre Hunter. What are your take on those two? Well, DeAndre Hunter's projected around five to the Cavs, and he's a great two-way player. You mentioned a couple of guys earlier like Leonard being a great two-way player. Uh, Hunter, 6'8", uh, obviously a winning pedigree as they won the national championship this year. And, and, you know, with DeAndre Hunter in your lineup, that's a nice piece to the puzzle. Now, he won't necessarily be a 20-point-per-game scorer, but he, he will be a guy who fits in well. If you have Sexton and Hunter, that's that's a nice start, and John Beeline has to build. And he went there because this is a rebuilding situation. He feels he will have some control 
over this and, and not have to deal with as many egos. Uh, I thought John Beeline left Michigan for the Cavs for a simple reason. I think he got tired of dealing with recruiting. I think he, he as a teacher, feels he can can mold some players and, and make them into a winning team. Uh, I found it interesting that he left Michigan because he has talent returning at Michigan, though several players like Brez Dacus and Matthews are in the draft as of now. Uh, but I found it fascinating because if you look at the history of guys leaving college and going to the NBA, Brad Stevens has done okay. Uh, Patino did well and then realized he was more for college and then he's had his problems. Uh, you look at Dick Vitale, <laughs> he, he didn't last long enough with the Pistons. I mean, uh, Jerry Tarkanian with the Spurs. I mean, it's interesting guys going from college to the NBA. There have been mixed results. La, La, Lon Kruger was up and down better in college than with the Hawks. I mean, it's, it's been a mixed bag, so it's interesting when a guy does this. Billy Donovan won two national titles, has been okay in the pros with Oklahoma City, uh, but some people thought they'd be even better with the talent they have with Westbrook and George and at the time Durant. So it's really interesting to see a college coach go to the pros. Okay, let's keep it a buck, a hundred, as the young people say, Howie. Did Beeline get tired of recruiting, or did recruiting start to get a little bit hot and he hopped out the frying pan, maybe into the NBA fire? No, because I think the recruiting he did was, was very good. Okay, He's had a lot of talent competing for a national title. Uh, they were in the final game two years ago. Uh, they were in the uh, hunt this year before falling uh, uh, to Texas Tech. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting for me because Beeline had health issues, and now he's going to the rigors of the pro schedule. Uh, that that I found interesting, but uh, I think he knows uh, what's ahead, and I think he knows, from coaching at all different levels over the years that uh, he's ready for another challenge. I guess he thought that he accomplished all he could at Michigan. And let's face it, the money helps too. I'm sure the money does help. All right, so let's get back into this potential draft boards. I remember the point in the season where R.J. Barrett's skill set may have arguably made him number one over Zion. But I also remember a point where we were sort of oohed and odd and very fascinated with Mark Few and his, his Gonzaga team, and Roy Hachimuri, his, I guess, power forward, we'd call him? Yeah. What's the deal with Roy? Yeah. Roy Hachimura, I think, is a very underrated player in this draft. He's projected 15 to 20, but he's very physical, can go inside and outside, not afraid to shoot threes, and, and I think physically he's ready to contribute right away. I think Rui Hachimura will be a steal in this draft. I think Brandon Clark, who's projected between 12 and 15, is a very good talent, too, because he's a great two-way player. Yeah. Uh, one of the better defensive players in college basketball. Can rebound, can score, uh, has handled adversity. He played at San Jose State before he went to Gonzaga and San Jose State struggled. Uh, then he had the success of this year doing very well. 
I think Brandon Clark could be a starter. I really like Rui Hachimura uh, to be a NBA player and a contributor right away going in the 15 to 20 range. I think he will be a, a steal in this draft. I definitely agree with you that Brandon Clark is also being slept on. But here's here's a fun one, Howie. Just just go with me. A guy like Carson Edwards, who all through March Madness, we were like, ooh, the last person that did this was Steph Curry. Look what he's done now. What do you see for a guy like that? Obviously, not a lottery selection, but does he land? Oh, yeah, he should. I mean, when you're a scorer, I mean, you want to be a scorer in the NBA. And teams will look at what he did against Villanova, what he did against Virginia, what he did against Tennessee, what he did all year in the Big Ten. And he was one of the best players in the Big Ten all season long. And he carried that team, clearly. That was a team that did not have uh, as much talent as, as other teams that advanced in the tournament. So Carson Edwards, his size is a factor. And I think people will knock him down because of that. But he gets his shot off. And he has good range. I think Carson Edwards is another example of a good player in this draft. Uh, there are so many of them. I mean, uh, I think back to Tyus Battle at Syracuse was a good college player. I think back at what Luke May did at Carolina as a clutch player. I mean, the Kentucky kids, Keldon Johnson, P.J. Washington, Tyler Harrow, they're all going to get drafted pretty high, maybe all three in the first round. I mean – there are so many players who are going to step in and become interesting in the NBA. Give them a little time, but watch out. I mean, like I said, this draft I think is a lot deeper than people are giving credit for. And when you're a team like the Atlanta Hawks, for example, which has two of the top 10 and five of the top 44, the Celtics, three teams, three picks in the top 22, uh, the Sixers, three of the top 34, you have a possibility of improving your depth and improving your talent level pretty dramatically with those high picks. Also, it gives you the opportunity to make trades if you want to trade up and package something for Anthony Davis. If that happens, you probably have to give a lot. I mean, if the Knicks were to trade yeah. the third pick, Kevin Knox, uh, another pick, and maybe one or two players, not that they have very much talent to give. Uh, it would take a lot, but, I mean, you may want to go that way. That's why this draft is really fascinating. To me, it's a lot more fascinating than people realize because there are a lot of college – I mean, look how many college players entered this draft. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, the rules change. You can enter this draft without penalty, really and go back to college if you want. You have to just repay the agent. And uh, Right now, the amount of talent in this draft, when you look at the players invited to the, uh, the, the camp, the G League camp, and then the other camp, the elite camp, I mean, it's, that list of college players is incredible. To me, there are more than 60 players who belong on NBA rosters. Unfortunately, not all of them will get drafted because there are kids who are seniors. There are kids coming over from overseas. Uh, there will be a bunch stockpiled in the second round by teams that are smart. Uh, the talent level is incredible to me. Kids who were really good in college, who excelled already at, the, at that level, 
when you're a star at Division One carrying a team, you can step in and become a player in the NBA. Now, are you going to average 15 a game in the NBA first year? Probably not. Some will. I think Zion has the potential too. Barrett will give you everything. He will be a point guard. He'll be a scorer. He will be an all-star. Morant is a great passer, 2010 guy. So he will produce. My only question about Morant is uh, playing at Murray State, did he have enough tough games? He played Auburn. He played Marquette in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think an 80-game schedule, he may wear down a little bit, but he has potential. And so that's what you want in an NBA draft. You want to improve your team. And teams like the Hawks getting so many picks in the top 44, they have a chance to really improve their roster. And already with Young in the backcourt and some of the talent they have, they can really improve after a disastrous year. Yeah. And definitely, I think you're spot on with that. And the Hawks are a fascinating team as well, especially when you talk about drafting. Obviously, Trey Young, but... I don't know that people expected as much out of Kevin Herter as soon as he sort of evolved. Um, yeah. I definitely I agree. Well, with you. remember he was hurt before the draft. Exactly. So yeah. People were wondering how he was going to go, and he he was good. Yep. Yep. I mean, they've got John Collins down there as well. Now you mentioned RJ and Zion. I know we're talking about them a lot, and I saw where Tyus was invited to the G League Elite Camp. Is he a kid that you think should go now, or should he come back? Well, Tyus Jones already announced that he's coming back to college. Oh, he did? Okay. For Duke, yes. Yeah. And Duke will be loaded again. They have Vernon Carey coming in, who's one of the top five recruits in the country. They have a very good class coming in, and uh, uh, don't cry for Duke. They'll be fine. Uh, Duke and Kentucky will always reload. Uh, They always have one of the top classes. Uh, Watch out again. So on reloading, a team that may not reload the same way that they do, the national champs, Virginia. I mean, you've got Guy, DeAndre, the other guard for Virginia, I think, declared as well. I I mean, I've had plenty of conversations on whether their guards should go, and I'm one who believes in striking while the iron is hot. I agree with you. Kyle Guy will go in the first round as well. Uh, DeAndre Hunter will certainly go in the top 10. Um, I think when you look at Virginia, yes, they lost a lot of talent. The one thing that Tony Bennett does, uh, he has recruited well, but he also now with the grad transfers, he's in the running for a few of them, and I think that he will reload that way. Uh, Will they drop a bit? Yes, because I think Duke and Carolina, uh, with what Carolina's recruited with Cole Anthony, and Carolina's already reloaded with a few grad transfers. Uh, I think that Carolina will be right up there again in the ACC. But I mean, here's the interesting thing. With so many players declaring for the draft, if you're a college coach now, you have a problem because you don't know how many of these kids are going to stay in the draft or how many of these kids are not going to get drafted and then say, okay, I want to come back. And so you're in a dilemma right now because you're out there trying to secure some grad transfers, maybe get a last-second recruit who's still out there. Uh, Hopefully you've gotten some of your recruits in already, and the elite programs have, like I said, Kentucky, Duke, for example, Carolina a bit. Uh, 
uh, Michigan State. It's a challenge. Uh, and I think it's really tough for Division One coaches right now with this new rule. Yeah. Ooh, what a juggling act. I haven't even really thought about that, Mahawi. That could be super tricky. Well, you have been enlightening and insightful. And before I let you go, the signature here of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is that I have my guests give me a bucket, something that they loved either for you, Howie, it can be whether you want to go draft, you want to go draft class, college basketball season, I'll leave it open-ended. But I need a bucket from you, something that was fantastic. Then you'll give me a board, something that innately doesn't look so good, but had some silver lining to it. A kid coming back from injury, I don't know, whatever you think of. And then your block is something that is just a trash concept or happening. Get that out of here. We don't want to have that anymore. So your bucket, board, and block, Howie Schwab. (laughs) Okay, my bucket is the NBA draft is deeper than people realize. Here, let me Mm. give you a few names. Manu Ginobili was 57. Gilbert Arenas was a second-round pick. Carlos Boozer, Nick Van Exel, Draymond Green. Mm. You can get players in the second round of the draft. You can get talent in the lower first round of the draft. Don't sleep on that, people. Don't think that Zion and Barrett and Morant are the only three players in this draft. There will be a lot of players who make a difference over the years. Uh, as far as a board, uh, a board, I think that teams like the Atlanta Hawks can really, and the Celtics can really win in this draft. The Celtics already are a talented team that's a player or two away. And with a little more chemistry and a little more getting things straightened out with the Kyrie situation, I think Brad Stevens adding more talent to this team will have a potential winner in the East for years to come. The Hawks rebuilding their team, five picks in the top 44. You have an opportunity, and you mentioned the young talent. talent with Collins and Werder and Young. I mean, they're building something. And you don't always see that happen in the NBA. Look at the Knicks the last six years. And then as far as a board, I I think last night was, uh, pardon me, a block rather. Ouch. Uh, A block to me, get it out of here. Uh, (laughs) I fell for the Cavaliers and the Suns last night. Um. The Suns who've been building young talent. Uh, with DeAndre Ayton last year, uh, though Josh Jackson, now they have a problem with him off the court. Uh, the Cavs trying to rebuild with Sexton, thinking maybe we get Zion. We've had a great history of getting number one before. Uh, last night, they fell off the boards a little bit. Uh, but they still have potential of getting guys like Darius Garland or DeAndre Hunter, or guys who can be good players in the NBA. So, while it's a block, they didn't totally lose. There you go. I like that, Howie. I'm so glad to have someone of rational sense say this draft is deeper than the first three. You just might need to do a little bit of digging and understand what works for your organization. But, Howie, thank you so much for hopping on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I, for one, love your insight. Thank you so much, Monica. Pleasure being with you. Have a great day. Full stop. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with me, Monica McNutt, is one of four weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. I'm here each Thursday with great guests like the Schwab. 
with my own opinions on all things hoops, and of course, my pops with his wit and wisdom. The Pure Hoops podcast drops every Friday with three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. BJ has great side stories about playing with Michael Jordan and his current work as a player agent for high-profile NBA stars. On Mondays, we present the Mike Wise Show. Mike's guests are a who's who of basketball icons, and his discussions always bring out their best stories. Finally, on Wednesday, we have Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. Their guest this week is ESPN and ABC play-by-play announcer Mark Jones. Please sample all of our shows, rate them, review, download, subscribe, and most of all, enjoy. Hey, McNutt, tell your pops to grab his whistle. It's time for the official review. Buckets, boards, and blocks rolls on. And now it's time for the signature part of the show. My dad's here. Hey, Dad. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> ah, that introduction is so <laughs> typical of you. Leave me, leave me okay. alone. I'm old school. You're right. 100 okay. years old. Let's All move right. on. <laughs> so let's move on. Um, the lottery was this week, Dad. The lottery was on Tuesday night. Our pod is rolling out on Thursday. I'm in Chicago, hopefully, to get a look at some of your favorite college guys. We had a great conversation with Howie, who... I agree with 100%. This draft is deeper than the top three, but I don't know that the average NBA fan is consuming and studying college basketball to know that. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the draft? I mean, on the lottery? It's kind of odd that New Orleans got the pick after all the fiascos of their season and the Anthony Davis fiasco. I don't think I don't think it's fixed. I think everybody had a 9% chance of winning, and he hit it. So, or 6% chance, and he hit it. Um, and I... I I'm kind of glad because I'm not a Laker man. I, I think I don't think the Lakers deserve a quick fix like to get Zion or even uh, Ja Morant. Uh, I'm, I I want to see them uh, uh, flop around in the water for a long time. So I'm not <laughs> upset that the Knicks didn't get Zion either. I just you know. <laughs> I personally am thought that the Knicks didn't get one, but it's okay. We're going to move forward. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right. So then the top three guys that everybody's talking about, and you are a college basketball guy. Zion, Ja, RJ. I I have this slight question mark on Zion on how it translates. Am I tripping? Yes. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Is he in the NBA, though, Dad? Like, what position is he about to play? Wait a minute. That, first of all, they, they, they've gone to positionless, uh, this, this moniker about positionless uh, players. Um, the NBA is all about spreading up the floor now, shooting the three open up the court. You're going to tell me, I'm watching scores that have climbed from the old days of a half dozen years ago when it was 91, 88. So now you're seeing scores on a given night, on a Tuesday night, Sacramento and Orlando. And you're seeing a score of 121 to 116. You're going to tell me with scores being like that, being the norm now instead of the exception for on any given night in the NBA that Zion cannot get uh, 21 and 11 out of that, easily he can. I didn't say he, that for the record. Huh? I didn't say that for the record, but continue. Yeah, so so uh, all this all this talk, I, I wouldn't say it's haters, but all these naysayers and trying to find holes in his game, I don't understand it. He, he plays hard. I mean, he plays with intensity. He has a high IQ. He sees the floor. I saw him Besides the 360 dunks and the alley-oops and all that, I saw him make passes in small windows 
that point guards couldn't make. That means Moret might not be able to make. I saw him uh, uh, get rebounds out of his area. And what that, what that means is some people go straight up and get a rebound. He can go over and out and, and, and go into somebody's territory and get their rebound that they that they ready to claim. I see him go to the basket. I see him change directions uh, on, on 280. So I don't see all this. Hey, yeah, the shot's a little flaw. But as you know, and I've said this all along, that's the easiest part to add to your game. LeBron couldn't shoot when he came out of school. He was a big body, a big bruiser. And then uh, and he had he had shot mechanics that are more flawed than, than Zion. He had a high elbow that was flapping away. He had shot more of a line drive because he had his release because of his elbow was high. And I know getting a little technical here, but his release was straight, so he didn't have the proper arc on the shot. Now LeBron is very comfortable and highly respected as a three-point shooter. So Zion will add to his shot. That's the easiest part of the game. He can put it on the floor, beat you left hand or right hand. I do not understand everybody that wants to shoot holes in this game. I just don't see it. He's going to he's going to be fine. And today's NBA, spread the floor, and you get him isoed on a uh, a six eleven uh, heavy footed center or a six three guard on a on a on a switch. He's going to punish them. He's going to be fine. I remember. Remember you obsessing over LeBron's jump shot? That was a crazy flashback moment there. Um, I guess if you break it down that way, I agree. Now, when I ask about him at the next level, I completely agree with the consensus that he should be the number one pick. And I definitely agree that he plays hard. And when he was in DC for the Elite Eight, he the kid is huge and so strong. So yeah, he's got tons of but I mean, you I mean it's our job to look at things and just analyze the whole package. It's, it's my thing. It's what I'm saying. But, but, you know, but it, it almost seems the the people that endorse him and say he's going to be fine are in the minority. As 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 I surf the dial and listen to a lot of a lot of mm. people in the media that have you know, and, and I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Um and, and the biggest one that I have to give is the intensity and the way he plays hard. Uh you know, he, he probably let Duke in steals, um, and and that's because of anticipation, high high IQ, uh, and a want to to lead a team in steals. That's not uh, you got to want to do this, and he had right. all reason not to want. He can get twenty five a game. He was he was a walking double double, but yet he led the, the team in steals because he's hungry to win, and he's a he's an intense get after type of player. Yeah, the kid's future is super bright. Quick thoughts on Ja, because I know you got to get up out of here. Yeah, he's he, he's gonna be fine. I, I I wonder, you know, unlike Zion, and one of the things I've always looked at looked at from my days, like Brees talks about, we were talking about Halicek a couple of shows ago. Uh, my era was the body. You got to have the body to transfer into the NFL, uh, into the NBA. He's got the body. Ja, he's got. He looks a little real thin. It looks like he can be, you know, mouse in the house. You know what a mouse in the house is all about, Monica. Yeah. Uh, opportunity. <laughs> So he's going to have to fill out and grow. He may struggle more than Zion, I think. He'll get there because he's got, uh, again, he came, he was an outsider. Do you know that um, he was not even on the circuit? And, and then an AAU coach saw, went to a gym where his, his team and players were playing, and he saw him off to the side shooting and then called the coach uh, for the college he, he ended up at and said, hey, Murray, and Murray State, and said, you got to see him. It's a way. Who's he I, playing for? He's not playing for anybody. He's just out here shooting on the, on the side gym, but he can play. I did so know that. Yeah. 
I, I did know that because we talked to Mike Mahone, his coach, last week on MSG 150. Did you know that his full name is Demetrius Jamel Morant? Bet you didn't know that. <laughs> it, it isn't that cute. <laughs> John, get out there. And get me, get me ten assists, you know, <laughs> nine rebounds and, and thirteen points. You know? I think he can handle that. All right, Dad, yeah. that's, good, that's some good hoops nuggets to come all over. You did a good job this week. <laughs> yeah. oh, meaning I don't other weeks. I gotta watch you. Hey, you, you take it how you want. <laughs> <laughs> all right, baby, I gotta fly. Bye, Dad. <laughs> all right, have a great show. Talk to you later, Bruce. So long, pops. Take care. Right. Thank you. All right. He's the best. I love that guy. I, it's so funny because I do remember him obsessing over LeBron's shot. I forgot. I was like, Dad, what? <laughs> All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Okay, team. So we are wrapping up this episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I hope that both Howie and myself have opened your eyes to the potential of the draft beyond picks one, two, and three. Quickly, my bucket this week, although I will admit that I was personally rooting for the Knicks to grab number one, I'm not mad at three. I think they're in a good position. I'm going to give my bucket to David Griffin because he clearly is a man of great fortune. How many number one picks has he landed with organizations that he's been with in the past six years? That's crazy. So shout out to him. My board is actually going to be the Knicks in three because I think that gives them some options. RJ solid if Memphis doesn't go with Ja. I think Ja would do well in New York. But if they did want to package and move that third pick to bring a marquee guy to the Mecca, I could see it happening. And my block, I'm going to stay on this point, is all you people that don't think there's any talent in this draft class beyond one, two, and three. You got to open your eyes. You got to appreciate basketball for all that it actually is and not just the hype of three names. Come on, people. You got to get into it a little bit deeper than that. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks to my fantastic producer, Bruce Bernstein, my editor, Ben Wolfen, our guest, Howie Schwab, Howie Schwab, I know how to say his name, and then my dad, Kevin McNutt, for rolling through. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, we'll be back here next week with episode seven. Talk to you soon. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.